words of my mouth, and may the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. What did John the Baptist mean when he said, pointing to Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're used to hearing that, that title, Lamb of God, connected to Jesus, but this was a new thing that John was saying in connecting that title to Jesus. We hear it in our uh, songs that we sing. Uh, it's in the New Testament. It's even in our symbolism and in our artwork as Christians. We have uh, a wall hanging there depicting the this, this symbol of, of Jesus as the Lamb of God, the conquering King. But what did John the Baptist mean by that? Um, some people think that John thought of the Lamb of God as a holy warrior figure. We're not used to putting... Uh, that together, that the lamb is a military image, but there were some Jewish texts that were written between the Old and New Testament that, that talked about how the Lord is going to give his sheep, Israel, who've been persecuted, he's going to give his sheep a sword to smite the unrighteous, those who have persecuted them. So it's kind of like the weakling who has been bullied in the schoolyard has had enough and he's going to start taking martial arts and pumping iron, and he's going to get revenge. The weakling becomes strong. So some people think that uh, when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the idea is that he's going to take away the sin of the world by getting rid of sinners. He's going to come in judgment. And that seems to fit John the Baptist's preaching when he talks about the coming one who's going to separate the wheat from the shaft, the righteous from the unrighteous, maybe that's part of what John had in mind when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's going to take away the sin by getting rid of sinners. Of course, there's another way to think about this, that title, Lamb of God a way that really fits the whole picture of Jesus' ministry, and that is, of course, the Lamb of God as sacrifice. Not Lamb of God as holy warrior against sinners, Lamb of God as sacrifice for sinners. And the background to that is the Old Testament sacrificial system. So God teaches the people of Israel to connect atonement and forgiveness with sacrifice. And this is pointing to the work of Jesus ultimately. He teaches that by instituting the sacrificial system and he says to the people of Israel, if you've committed a sin, here's what you need to go do. You need to go to the tent of meeting, the place of meeting with God in his presence and bring a lamb, a spotless lamb. And Place your hand on the head of this lamb, symbolizing the transfer of your sins to the sacrifice. And then kill the lamb. And then uh, the, the, the priest would take the blood of the lamb and sprinkle this on the altar. So you had the symbolism of 
the guilty sinner's sin being transferred to the sacrifice. Then God was teaching people that the penalty for their sin was death, but the lamb is taking your place, dying the death that your sins deserve. So we're forgiven by costly sacrifice. We're no longer under the penalty of, uh, of our sins because of this substitute. And the goal of all this, the Lord was teaching the people of Israel, was atonement and forgiveness. In Leviticus chapter 5, and Leviticus is the book that is unfolding the sacrificial system and giving instructions. Leviticus chapter 5 says that the priest shall make, in light of this sacrifice, atonement for him, the sinner, uh, for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. A simple way to understand the meaning of atonement and the import of atonement is to break that word apart into three syllables, at one mint. Sin separates us from God and his holy presence. We're not at one with God because of our sins, but through sacrifice we are brought together with God. We are able to enter into the presence of God at one with God because of the sacrifice. So when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, in light of the sacrificial system, especially in light of the cross of Jesus, we understand this to mean that Jesus is a sacrifice for sin. Another piece of the Old Testament background that helps us make sense of what Jesus did, appreciate what Jesus did, really that's the goal here is to understand, to remember, to appreciate Jesus' sacrifice, to love him more and to trust him more as we think about what he did for us, to be lost in, as the song says, love, wonder, and praise as we think about what Jesus did. Another piece, another piece of background, another layer, is the story of the Passover, which we read today as our Old Testament reading from Exodus chapter 12. The Passover was the tenth and final plague that God sent to Egypt so that Pharaoh, hard-hearted Pharaoh, would finally let the people go out of slavery into freedom. And this tenth plague was an awful, terrible plague when God passed over the land of Egypt and struck down all the firstborn in the land. And it says there was a great cry in Egypt. There was not a house where someone was not dead, including the house of Pharaoh. God, the, the giver of life, takes life in judgment. It's a hard story to hear. It's hard to think about. Every firstborn in the house of Egypt being struck down by the judgment of God. But Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has written about this, and he talks about the tenth plague as an act of retributive justice. You did this, and therefore you're going to get that. It's a way of balancing the scales. And he's referring to the fact that Pharaoh commanded his people to kill the Hebrew sons. 
You remember that? Every son that is born to the Hebrews, Pharaoh said, you shall cast into the Nile River. So Jonathan Sachs says, in the terrible tenth plague, it was as if heaven was saying to the Egyptians, you committed or supported or passively accepted the murder of innocent children. And the only way you'll ever realize the wrong that you did is to suffer the consequences and to suffer what you did to others. The judgment of God. So that's part of the meaning of the tenth plague, the Passover, an act of God's judgment. But for our purposes, the thing to notice is that Israel needed to be saved from the judgment of God as he passed over, as the destroyer came over their house. If you knew that God was sending a destroyer over your house at midnight, would you be a little nervous? How could you be sure that you were safe? They were saved by the blood of the Lamb. They were saved by the Passover Lamb. They were sheltered under the sacrifice from the judgment of God, which was death. They were rescued, and they were delivered. So John, the gospel writer, wants his readers of this gospel to make a very clear connection between Jesus' work on the cross and the Passover lamb, the sacrifice who shelters us from the judgment of God and delivers us from the penalty of sin wins our forgiveness, and because of him, we have at one minute, we are at one with God. He's very clear to make that connection. In fact, at the end of the gospel, so here we are at the beginning of the gospel, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and then we get to the end of the gospel as Jesus enters into his passion and suffering, and John is very keen to point out that this all took place, Jesus is suffering during what? The Passover. And as he notes at the end of the gospel, something even more detailed about Jesus' crucifixion. He notes that after Jesus was crucified, he says the soldiers did not break his legs like they did those who were crucified with him. The gruesome truth is that sometimes the Roman soldiers would take a sledgehammer and they would smash the legs of these crucified victims in order to hasten their death so that they could not pull themselves up with their legs to get oxygen. And they did that to those who were crucified to the right and left of Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, John notes that he was already dead, so they did not have to smash his legs. And then John says this, this fulfills the scripture, not one of his bones shall be broken. And that was a requirement for the Passover lamb. He quotes the scripture that relates to the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb was to be a perfect sacrifice, a whole sacrifice. And God said of the Passover lamb, when you celebrate the Passover, not one of his bones should be broken. So John is saying at the beginning of this gospel to the very end, here is 
God's sacrifice for your sin so you can be reconciled to him. Will you receive that sacrifice? Will you believe so that you can have life, so you can be in relationship with God? Now, after John the Baptist proclaims Jesus as the Passover lamb, we read that John's disciples started following Jesus. Two of John's disciples begin to follow Jesus. They're taking their first steps in following him. He turns around and says, what do you want? What are you seeking? What are you seeking? And that's a good question for us today. What are you seeking? See, they had expectations of what the Messiah would do, and it did not involve him hanging on the cross like a sacrificial lamb. It probably had a lot more to do with the holy warrior who's going to get rid of the persecutors and the unrighteous. And Jesus looks at them and says, okay, what are you seeking? What are your expectations of me? A good question for us to ponder today. As you start to follow Jesus, as you continue to follow Jesus, I'm asking you, what are you seeking from him? Some people come to church today, and guess what? I'm thrilled when anybody comes to church, no matter what their expectations are. But some people, we have been so shaped by our entertainment culture, we live in an entertainment-saturated culture, and that shapes expectations. So some people come into church, and, and you know, there's spiritual seeking, but there's an expectation that they're going to be entertained in church because that's just saturating our world today, entertainment. They, they want a good show, expecting a good show. Well... If people come to church expecting that to be entertained, I hope we're not terribly boring here. <laughs> but we're not going to be able to compete with Netflix or the NFL or the theater. Some people start following Jesus in their search for health and prosperity. Because these are major anxieties in our life. Our health and our money, and they're all about giving us a sense of security in this world. And so some people start following Jesus because they see him as, as the key to security in this life. He can give me health and prosperity. But they're going to be disappointed too, ultimately, if that's the only reason they're following Jesus, because part of the human condition is to suffer, and to lose, and to die. Some people talk as if the church is, is the religious wing of their political party. And that church is useful because it gets us on this political agenda. And following Jesus is helpful because he promotes a political cause. But John the Baptist did not say, behold the the guy with the political solutions for the world. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because that is the world's greatest problem. Because sin separates us from God. And we're made to be in relationship with God. And we're made to know God. 
and to be in his presence and to love God and to enjoy God and to glorify God. And sin corrupts everything. And sin creates the barrier between us and God. And sin corrupts us and it corrupts our relationship. And so what God did in Jesus Christ is to send the solution to our greatest problem. Now, I love the patience of Jesus as these first disciples start taking their first steps to Jesus or with him and following him. He just says, okay, guys, come and see. Just keep hanging around me and maybe you'll get the point. And it took a long time for them to get the point. I'm so thankful for the patience of Jesus. We need to be patient with people. Right? When they are starting to follow Jesus, when they come to the church and they've got expectations and needs and problems, we need to deal with them as best as we can. We need to keep pointing them to Jesus. We need to be patient with them. I'm glad Jesus was patient with me. I'm glad Jesus is patient with me. How about you? He says, just come follow me, disciples. And it took a long time and a lot of questions and a lot of confusion but he loves them and he stays connected to them and they need to stay connected to him. And then they start to get a sense of his mission and his heart and his identity. Really, it all came together only after the resurrection and the day of Pentecost. But we have to be like John the Baptist. We have to just keep pointing people to him and say, behold the lamb, behold the lamb of God. I want to do that today for you. So if you're burdened with guilt and shame over sin, lust, or anger, rage, or envy, or slander, or selfishness, or pride, if you've come to a place where you say, I, I admit these things are in my life, and I've hurt people, and I've hurt myself, and, and you're coming this morning, and you have that burden of shame and guilt on you, behold the Lamb of God this morning who can take your sin. If you are seeking to know the love of God, if you want to know something of the presence and power of God, of the living God in your life, if you want some hope in the face of suffering and fear and death, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the baptizer with the Holy Spirit who can immerse you in the life of God, his presence and power. If you're seeking to be right with God, connected to the life of God, that's what we can offer. Here we confess and repent of our sins in the presence of Christ. Here we are assured of God's forgiveness by the word of Christ here we come every Sunday to celebrate a sort of new Passover meal, remembering what Christ has done for us and communing with him, our Passover lamb. Here, men and women and boys and girls can be transformed by the love of Christ. Those struggling with addictions and habits can discover power, the power of Christ in their life, the forgiveness and freedom of Christ in their life. Those who are searching for meaning and hope and significance... It's all in Christ. I heard another preacher talk about something that St. Teresa of Lisieux wrote over a hundred years ago. 
St. Teresa, she made, he made the point that St. Teresa um, did not have a lot going for her in her context. She had a lot of strikes against her, not a lot of standing in that time. She was young. She was sick all the time. She was single. She was a woman. Lots of strikes against her. But actually, she's be, become one of the doctors of the church. The church recognized in Teresa, in her wisdom, because of her relationship with Christ, insights into the Christian life that, that are valuable. And she's an authoritative teacher in the Western church. And here's what Teresa wrote, one of the things that she wrote, so striking, I think. She said as she was praying, she, she said, I sensed if I had on my conscience all the sins that I could commit. Think about that. All the sins that I could commit, I would go to Jesus. My heart would be broken, but I would go to Jesus and he would embrace me. And she said, and I would know in that embrace that the multitude of sins would disappear in an instant like a drop of water into a fiery furnace the merciful embrace of Christ. That's what God has done for us in Jesus, the Lamb. Amen. And I, I, let's just pray, and I want to ask you this morning, if you, if you need to go to Jesus, if you need to come to his embrace this morning, and repent, confess, and receive the forgiveness of sins in your life. You don't have to carry that burden. As you come to the table today, you can come as an act of trusting in the sacrifice of Christ. We have a time of confession before we do that. You can take that to not just say the words on the page, but to offer up as an as a act of repentance. Offer up your confession to the Lord. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to trust. We, we actually, there are things that we have done that we're aware of and there are things that we should have done that we're not aware of and, and we sin multiple times. But you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Help us to trust in your forgiveness and help us to point people like John the Baptist did to Jesus Christ in this church and in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.